I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Lala Wu, the co-founder and executive director of Sister District. It's a grassroots organization focused on getting Democrats elected in state legislatures. Lala and I have had several conversations over the past few years, mainly about how Democrats can gain substantial legislative power by focusing on state-level races. A lot can be accomplished at the state level, improve reproductive rights, voting rights, and even improved access to health care. But this episode was really hard for me because we talk about that Supreme Court opinion link that everyone's talking about. The leak which revealed that conservatives were planning to end Roe v. Wade as we know it, effectively making abortion illegal. And that's on top of all of the other draconian, archaic anti-abortion laws that are being passed in red states all over the country like the bill that was just passed in Oklahoma, which bans all abortion after fertilization. Think about that. Think about what that means. We actually recorded this episode before the bill in Oklahoma was passed, and it was also shortly following the mass shooting in Buffalo. So it was a really, really hard episode to record. But despite all of the terrible, terrible things that are happening, Bala Wu and the good people at Sister District, you know, they keep fighting and they keep organizing. And Lala actually gives me some hope that we can ride this ship through organizing and voting. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Lala Wu of Sister District. Lala Wu, welcome. <laughs> Hi. Thanks. It's great to be back. Yeah, I know. But under really terrible circumstances, I mean, it's all been terrible. Like, it's been terrible for years now. I mean, we're here to talk about the Supreme Court leak, but, you know, over the weekend we had these, you know, shootings and these hate crimes and... I don't know, just everything's terrible. And <laughs> you're one of my favorite people to talk to because you're so hopeful, but not a lot of hope going around these days. So anyway. I'm glad to be here talking to you also in the wake of yet another tragedy that people are terrible and they're awful people out there. But let's just say it plainly, the Republicans are making it much worse. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, they are. I mean, we have to be clear. And I, you know, and when you say that, I think immediately of the media and how they are spinning these stories and creating this narrative and trying to do the both sides thing. And, you know, like at some point they have to drop this because, you know, at some point it's, it's kind of neutral and then it gets kind of irritating and then it becomes harmful. And I think we're at that point where it's harmful to say like, oh, well, both sides are, you know, fomenting violence or whatever they're saying. I don't know what they're saying. I haven't turned on the news in the past several days just because things have been so terrible. But I know that that's the pattern, right? And how do we even stop them <laughs> or change their, you know, what they do? Yes. What we know is that change has to start from the ground up. And we have to be clear eyed about the world that we live in, which is full of some pretty awful things and people and ideas. But what we know is that if we get power in the right places, we can change the narrative. We can move us toward a world that has more rights and liberties for all of us. And so it's about being really strategic about that and staying hopeful despite the terrible news that comes at us seemingly every day. I think that really starting thinking about, you know, what's going on in your community locally where you are, also thinking about what's going on in your state, and then also expanding, realizing that entire country is our backyards, right? That what happens in one state affects us in another, and the Dobbs leak is a great example of that. 
because although it looks like Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned, can't believe I'm saying those words, but here we are. And that means that the question of abortion is going to be turned entirely over to the states so that whether you have access to a safe or legal abortion is entirely in the hands of state lawmakers. And even though we have a country where nearly 70% of people don't want to see it Roe v. Wade overturned, they want to have some access to abortion, we're going to see abortion become banned or effectively banned in 26 states the moment that Roe v. Wade is overturned. And so what that means is that in these states, it doesn't mean that fewer people are going to need abortions. Those people are going to have to travel to other states. And so states like California and Colorado and Illinois and Washington, you know, these are going to become states that people travel to in order to get an abortion. And that is going to put additional pressure on those receiving states and make it harder for everybody to access the healthcare they need. And so, you know, what happens in one state matters that affects another. And really, it's all our backyard. And I think a really strong reminder of how important what happens at the state and local level is and how this is a place where you know, if you're looking for a place to feel like you're making a concrete difference, it's the place to look. So I want to get into the Supreme Court leak shortly, because that's really what we're here to talk about. But you just said something that made me stop here. You said having power in the right places in state legislatures at the moment, right? That's what we're focusing on. I know that your organization, Sister District, you know, works on getting progressive power, right? You know, Democrats, but specifically progressive power. When you listen to progressives, and maybe this is just online, when I hear people talking about the Supreme Court League and, you know, the possible inevitable probably end of Roe v. Wade very soon, they say Democrats failed here. They didn't do the right thing. This is why we're in this position, right? I mean, I have my own thoughts about that, but that's just one of the prevailing opinions among progressives. How do we get power in the right places when people are so deflated whether it's warranted or not. I mean, I personally don't think it's warranted. And, you know, just briefly, I think it's not warranted because it's specifically conservatives who've been working at this for decades, right? Not Democrats. Like maybe Democrats didn't act strongly enough throughout the years, but conservatives have been proactively and consistently working for this moment for a really long time. But back to the question of like, how do you convince people that we need to keep working to get power in the right places when they're also really deflated and kind of disappointed. I think you answered your own question, is that this is a long-term game. And it's not just about, I mean, Biden's doing as good of a job as he can be doing. I mean, the Democrats have accomplished like plenty of things in the time that we've been in power. There's a lot that else that we would like to get done, certainly. But you're exactly right that what we're seeing right now the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the attacks on our democracy, all of the very concerning things that we're seeing, they're all the result of a Republican strategy to consolidate power at all levels of government over the past century. And so we can't fix it with one election as much as we would love to. We have to continue to work at this and realize that it's a long-term project. I talk to 
someone, I was at a sister district event yesterday and I talked to someone who said, I never thought I would see Roe v. Wade overturned. I never thought in a million years. And I said, I know here we are, we have so much work that we still need to do. And she asked me, when is it over? When do we get to be done? I looked at her and I said, you know, this is the long game. You know, we get to be done when the other side decides they're done. And let me tell you, they like this game. <laughs> they're interested in continuing to play it for as long as, as long as we're on this earth. It's not a game that is one. It's one that continues. You know, it's not, it's never over. This book keeps getting written and the pages continue to get added. And so it really, it all depends what we do with this moment. And what we have to do when we think about getting power in the right places is first, as you said, we need to understand that this is a long-term project. And then we need to just be extremely smart about where we're putting our resources. And so, you know, you look at the Republicans and not only did they have a very strong effort to make sure that they were going to have folks lined up for the opportunity to get them put on the Supreme Court so that Trump was in the position with Mitch McConnell's help to put three justices on the Supreme Court. But there's also a very deep bench of Republicans that have been ushered in and are waiting in the wings for other federal courts, not just the Supreme Court, but these are other Article Three federal judges that are appointed for life. And only a sliver of the country's legal cases make it up to the Supreme Court. So a lot of law is made finally, you know, its final stop is at these federal courts. And so that's another piece, you know, that the Republicans have been working on. Republicans have also been working on the state courts, which are also going to be the final word for all kinds of legislation, including abortion legislation, which after Roe v. Wade is overturned. So, you know, who is on these state courts really matters as well. In some places, in some states, they're appointed. In other places, they're elected. And query whether that's really the way that we should be putting into place who these judges are. But we have to be strategic about that as well. And then, you know, you go all the way down to the local level. Not only are they looking at secretaries of state, they're looking at election administrators, they're looking at poll workers. They're looking at all these places, even these nonpartisan places, look seeking to install partisan people so that everything is going to fall in line. And so I don't mean to sound too chicken little, the sky is falling, but in 2020, our democratic institutions, they held together, but barely. We have to be prepared for the Republicans. In 2020, they were just throwing everything at the wall. They were seeing what worked in these circumstances. And by the time 2024 comes around, they're going to have had four years to button everything up. And we just need to be really prepared for that. Well, first thing I'll say is you've probably heard of the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees, right? And I think in this case, it's kind of the reverse. I think people are looking at the forest and they're not looking at the trees, right? And the forest is, you know, Roe v. Wade and the ending of legal abortion. And the trees are all these little pieces that Republicans have been putting in place to turn this over without having true power. And so people are like, oh, God, you know, how did you let Roe v. Wade, you know, fail? However, they weren't looking at all the, the structural pieces that needed to be in place to ensure that Roe v. Wade. So it's kind of like maybe that's a terrible analogy, but that's kind of how I think of it. 
Then the second thing, you mentioned that conservatives have been planning this and lining up judges. Well, I think that the Biden administration has not gotten enough credit for the work that he's done, kind of the foresight that the administration's had. He has nominated or he has put in place, I think, more women in judicial positions than any president in history, right? And more women of color. And that's something that I don't think he's given enough credit for. And that's really important when you're looking at, you know, cases like this that are happening in these states. Oh, I love that. Yes, absolutely. And like I said, the deck is stacked against (laughs) a lot of Democrats right now. And yes, Biden definitely deserves a lot of credit for doing that. And I think that Unfortunately, I feel like things were a bit reactive. We saw how successful Trump was at putting all of these uh, judges in place. But I am extremely glad to see that Biden has done such an incredible job of making sure that he brought these amazing women in particular into the judiciary. And that is going to be a lasting legacy. Yeah. And I don't want to sound like a Biden administration cheerleader. Although in comparison to the last, you got to give credit, credit's due for sure. I mean, it's hard not to do that given what we just came out of. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about was, you know, the examples where at the state level, where blue states that have shored up abortion rights, you know, codified it. What are some examples of that? I know here in Washington state, we've protected abortion rights. And what are some other examples that are happening at the state level? A shining example of this is in Connecticut where they have the Reproductive Freedom Defense Act. And this act, what it does is it expands who can perform abortion services. So basically it allows advanced registered nurses, physician's assistants, nurse midwives, to be able to provide medication abortions in the first trimester. So it makes it, you know, everybody still has enough experience, but especially for these medication abortions, And what I mean by that is abortion that is done by pill. You don't necessarily need a surgeon or, you know, an OB for those kinds of practices. And so being able to expand who can provide those services makes a huge difference. This law also protects Connecticut doctors who are performing abortions on out-of-state patients, which is unfortunately a thing that really needs to be paid attention to as some of these other red states are looking to not only ban abortion in their own state, but punish those who travel out of state or those who are performing abortions or helping those out of state. And then it also protects medical records of people who travel to Connecticut from out of the state. So there's a whole bunch of provisions that not only make it clear that abortion is legal available and will be safe, but also expands this whole idea of reproductive justice, reproductive freedom, helps to make it easier for folks to access these services. And as you just heard from, you know, a couple of those things I just talked about, what happens in one state impacts another, and we're going to be seeing more and more of folks trying to reach across their party lines, or reach across their state lines, rather to make abortion access harder or, and I think this is key, or easier, right? And this is the power that states have is that although 26 states are going to immediately outlaw or almost entirely outlaw abortion, there are these other states like Washington, like Connecticut, like California. No surprise that these are democratically led states where we're going to see a much stronger support for abortion 
shoring up of the resources that are available to folks both in state and out of state. So when you said reactionary, at what level were you referring to? Are you referring to like a federal level or just broadly or at the state level? Were some of these blue states kind of slow to respond or what? The blue states have been a great demonstration of the power of states and how we can, if we shift our mindset as Democrats and really embrace the idea of state power, we can do a lot. We can push the envelope of what our rights and our freedoms are. I think the blue states are being incredibly proactive in demonstrating what can be done and what there, all the possibilities there are, not just for abortion, but for other areas as well. The piece that I was saying is a reaction is that there's deep red states, I believe it might be like Alabama might be one of them. Are they looking to criminalize even going out of state for an abortion? They're not only saying like, oh, you can't have an abortion here. They're saying you can't have an abortion anywhere. And as a reaction to that, and I think part of the broader proactive stance that blue states are taking is also uh, introducing some protections to protect those out-of-state people. Can they even do that? How can you do that? Like, you know, (laughs) we are still free people. I mean, how are they controlling women by their residency, their state residency? So I think that there's very serious constitutional issues, (laughs) very serious constitutional questions that come up not only the right to privacy, right to travel, all of these other unenumerated rights that Justice Alito says are totally fine, but also not fine. And, you know, (laughs) that's a whole other conversation. But I think there's going to be a lot of questions that come up when these sorts of laws get introduced. And hopefully, we will see some injunctions, which means basically, you know, at the federal and state court, Hopefully the courts, when these are challenged, will say, hey, we need to stop this law in its tracks. We can't let it go on until we address the legal questions, make sure that this law is legal or not. But unfortunately, what we've also seen at the Supreme Court, you know, when the Texas abortion law was passed, which was a six-week abortion ban, which was in clear contravention of Roe v. Wade, what the Supreme Court, we would have expected a more saying a Supreme Court to do would be to say, hey, Texas, we got to put a hold on this law. You know, it looks like it contradicts with precedent and with existing law. And then we'll decide and then, you know, you can go in and implement or not. But what we saw with the Supreme Court is they were like, we're just going to be silent. Seems fine. Go ahead and do whatever you're going to do, which was an implied go for it. And in the meantime, there's a real world impact that hundreds and thousands of people were affected. You know, people who needed abortions, who didn't understand what the law was, who needed access to this kind of care and that weren't able to receive it. And so although there are serious constitutional questions with kind of law that I just mentioned, you know, trying to prohibit people from going out of state to get abortions, even criminalizing it, that doesn't mean that these laws aren't going to go into effect for some time. Right. I certainly hope that they would not. I wouldn't put it past our judicial system to let some of these things go for a little while. I want to talk about consequences, right? Because what we've just described will result in there being, there will be people who will have easy access to abortions, and then there are people who won't have easy access. And particularly for the people who won't have access, they won't have full bodily autonomy, of course, and they won't be able to plan their lives. They won't be able to plan their 
their careers and, you know, they'll become basically subordinate citizens, right? And I don't think that's hyperbolic. And that is not sustainable, right? And if we have to do this at the state level, that's just a stopgap, right? We need something at the federal level. Absolutely right. And (laughs) in the long term, we absolutely need a federal solution to this and many problems. And we have to be clear-eyed about this, too, that the Republicans are likely going to come at it, this at a national level, too. But in the meantime, because the national solution is not immediately forthcoming, and we need to keep building towards having the power to make that happen, you know, in the meantime, people's lives are being affected in states across the country. And so that's why it's really critical that we of course, to fund these abortion clinics, we have to support people in travel where it's not possible to change the laws in the state immediately. But there is a lot of states that might surprise you that are going to, I mean, you probably looked at the list, but you know, there are states that are going to abandon abortion immediately that may be surprising. For example, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin are four of our states four of our seven target states this year, sister district, where abortion is going to basically immediately become illegal. I mean, Michigan, you know, <laughs> this is Arizona. These are perhaps some of these states are, I think it can be solid as said that these are swing states, right? And these are places that have a lot of people in them who I think, unfortunately, will find are going to be very surprised when this actually happens, because I think there's a sense among some people that, oh, well, it's not affecting me, or like, this isn't going to happen in my state, but that's, that's not true. This is going to affect all of us. And, you know, I just wanted to come back to what you said about consequences as well. Janet Yellen said this, that this is really going to have an economic impact also. When we have basically half, more than half of the workforce potentially unable to do family planning, you know, or in this very important way, what are we going to be doing to the economic consequences of that, both micro and macro are really, really severe. It's massive. It's severe. And, you know, I think that, you know, the conversation is focused a lot on the worst case scenarios and we should, but I think we should have more conversations about when your body is kind of like owned and controlled by someone else, you know, someone in government. We should talk more about that because I think that that would probably hit home for more people who think like, oh, well, this isn't going to affect me. You know, I'm not going to be in that situation. Or if I do, I'll just, you know, swing by, you know, some other state. And I think we should have more conversations about that. Not only the big ways, but, you know, the small ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just thinking about what some of these circumstances are as well, you know, in many cases, people who seek out abortions already have children. You know, they um, they might also have just not be the right time to have kids, but they want children later. Maybe it was rape or incest, you know, which is unbelievable that there's so many places that are not even willing to make those exceptions. You know, maybe you're sick with cancer. Who knows? You know what I mean? There's all of these different circumstances under which it just people need to be able to make these choices about their own bodies. And instead, what we have is that this deeply personal decision is entirely the hands of our state lawmakers, who, by the way, many of whom are in states that are deeply gerrymandered, right? And so they are going to be making decisions that 
these Republicans in most cases, because they're sitting in these very safe seats, they don't need to feel accountable to their voters. They can just say, well, what does my extreme conservative right base want? And actually, not only is not accountable to what the voters want, but also, you know, are incentivized to appeal to their base. And so this is how we get a situation where we've got a majority, vast majority of people in this country who support Roe v. Wade, yet we have so much opposition to it coming from the state level. I'm so glad you said that because there are endless number of reasons, endless reasons why you would want to make this decision, right? Like you said, cancer. You know, maybe there's some genetic issue that runs through your family, you know, but then also maybe you just don't want to be a parent. Yes, which is fine. (laughs) I think all of those conversations should be on the table. Like, it's none of your business. (laughs) Why? Right? It's none of your business. Why? And I wish we could have more of those conversations. But anyway, what is the timeline here that we're looking at? I mean, from what I've read, I think it's June. Is that right? Yes. So everybody that I know had been kind of preparing for this decision to be relief by the end of June. The Supreme Court traditionally reserves its most high-profile controversial opinions for the end of the term. And there had been a sense that, oh, maybe they'll release it earlier because the Supreme Court is so weird. (laughs) Who knows what it's going to do? But then, you know, this bombshell leak happened, and that was a big surprise. The draft opinion itself and what it said was not surprising, but the leak was very surprising. So yes, the timeline is that we're looking at June by the end of June. Another thing that I wanted to bring up before we go into, because I want to continue the conversation about consequences and, you know, those states where people may not be expecting this to come down ever or, you know, this quickly. You know, we've been talking about birth control, too, right? Like these are very real decisions that are happening right now in states about attempts at controlling access to birth control. What do you know about that? So Justice Alito, and if you ever listen to the strict scrutiny podcast, which I highly recommend. My former law professor, Melissa Murray, is on there and likes to call Samuel Alito Troll Alito, which I think is quite good. So Samuel Alito really tries to have it both ways. He says all of these things about unenumerated rights and how if it wasn't originally in the Constitution, then we need to look at askance at it and we really need to be focused on, you know, this real originalist, textualist, what did the founders really mean to cover when they wrote all of this out? He says all of that, but then he says, oh, but don't worry, this decision's only about abortion. Don't worry, it's only about abortion. And so you really have to wonder, is it only about abortion? And are you in the future going to be feel constrained by what you said here, probably not, because you have given fuel to the fire and a lot of reasoning, basically drafting a playbook out for Republicans to challenge all kinds of rights, whether it's birth control or LGBTQ rights or anything else that maybe even is settled law, because they've been shown to be willing to overturn this precedent. So why not others? So really, Yes, I mean, this draft opinion reads like a little bit of a playbook for challenging all kinds of rights, not just rights that affect pregnant women, but rights that affect all. 
So when this starts to come down, you mentioned like swing states earlier. So when these decisions start to come down and it starts to hit people, you know, like in these swing states, conservative women included, because there are quite a large percentage. It's not like Republicans don't get abortions. Right. <laughs> no, that's just absurd, right? Like the conservative women seem really quiet about this. What are they thinking? I don't have any more of a complex question than that. They're just like, what are they thinking? First of all, the decision coming down in June, that's really bad timing, right? Before the midterms for them. I just can't imagine what is going through their minds. You know, I can't say that I know what's going on in anyone's minds, but I do know that it is up to us as Democrats and progressives and being on the left to make sure that we take the opportunity of this moment. And I hate to this is a terrible thing that's happening, but this is an opportunity for us to communicate with, you know, persuade some persuadable voters, right? To talk to folks about how this is something that's really going to impact their everyday lives. And hey, isn't this bridge too far, you know, in terms of saying what you can do with your own body? So, you know, I think that if kind of related question to what you're asking is what's the implication for the election and for the midterms, I think it depends on what we do at this moment. Like, what could we do right and what could we do wrong? I think that this is a very resonant issue for a lot of people because it impacts all of us, right? Even if you're not somebody who is able to or is looking to get pregnant, you certainly know many people who are. And, you know, I imagine that they're near and many of these people are near and dear to you. So it's about figuring out how to get this messaging right. And I do think that, you know, there's something to be done at the national level. But at Sister District, we also talk a lot with the candidates that we support about figuring out what the right message is for their district, what the right way to communicate with the, their voters, their voters is. And so this is an issue that's, you know, volatile, deeply personal to a lot of people. But there are messages out there that we can talk about being pro-choice, about bodily autonomy, about even in Republican terms, you know, just leave me alone. <laughs> like, let, let me do what I want to do, right? Isn't exactly. that what I ask for all the time? And so there are ways, I think, to get that message out, but we'll definitely have to be looking at it carefully. And, you know, at Sister District, we try to be really mindful that there's a lot of noise at the national level and sometimes that can be good and oftentimes it's bad but you can communicate with people really clearly more clearly sometimes when they are voters in your district you know you reminded me of something i think one of the very first interviews i did for the electorate was with dr laura briggs she's a professor somewhere i don't remember where she is right now but she's written a few books on reproductive justice and i'll never forget first of all i asked her the question about conservative women and why they were voting against their own interests right the first answer she gave me was that they don't think that they're voting against their own interests, that Republicans or conservatives have promised them a sense of safety, right, from things like threats at the border, you know, which is why, you know, Trump kind of harped on that so much when he ran for office, right, the first time. But secondly, something she mentioned, I think for her second book was that there's this peripheral circle around a pregnant person, their partners, right, their spouses, their family, their grandparents, right? All of the people who are potential caretakers or who will be both financially and emotionally impacted by the pregnant person's inability to control or plan their own family. And they all have an interest in supporting reproductive justice and 100%. supporting access to abortion. 
And I just want to say yes. that because I think that that should be a part of the message. I couldn't agree more. This affects all of us. And I think it's really wrong to say that, oh, this is just a women's issue. It's not. Of course, it affects women a lot, <laughs> obviously. But this is about all of us. And, and I think, you know, we've talked a lot about how what happens at the state level is so important. And I think it's just worth reminder that this isn't just about abortion. It's also about democracy, that so much of what happens at the state level is, shapes every aspect of our lives. Um, just take voting rights as one example, that the states are where you can expand or restrict access to the ballot box. And it's where the big lie and conspiracy theories are being peddled and going out of control. I mean, taking it back to the very beginning of this conversation where, you know, these white supremacist ideas are taking hold as well. So it's really, you know, we're talking about abortion, but it's not just about abortion. It's about every issue. And I think that everything that we care about, so much of it, it happens at this state and local level. And and I guess what I would say to be hopeful is that we can do something about it, right? Is that thankfully, like the state and local level, it is kind of the ground level and we can get involved. We can make a difference in these races without a ton of money, without a ton of time. You know, I know a lot of people don't have a lot of time or money, but you probably have like a little bit of one or the other. And if so, that little bit can go a really long way. Like, you know, last year we supported 12 races and of the 12 of them, five of them were decided by 821 votes or fewer. And so like, these are people, unfortunately, many state legislators are still like, you know, straight white men, but at Sister District, we're supporting a very diverse state and we're trying to replace many of those folks, get people who represent their communities authentically into these offices and they're decided by tiny margins, you know? And so I would just encourage everyone to, before you think about donating to that Senate race, also important, but that's a million zillion dollar race. And these state legislative races are like a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so you can make a huge difference. I wish I could just like tattoo that somewhere. <laughs> like that's where the power is, you know, just like those few hundred votes that are missing or, you know, gained in certain states. Going back to the beginning, as we close out, before we turned on the mic, before we started recording, we were talking about like just how terrible things were, you know, over the weekend, you know, with hate crimes and everything. And I feel, you know, just on top of this, like on top of the potential for Roe v. Wade to be overturned, like we don't need this, right? It's just so hard. And I feel a lot like I did in the summer of 2020. I think it was the summer of 2020. We were mid-pandemic. Trump was trying to hide data, you know, hide death numbers, and was trying to keep people from voting. I just felt really, really scared and anxious. I'm kind of going back into that place now with everything that happened over the weekend and with Roe v. Wade potentially being overturned. I know you said we can do this and we should have hope. But just tell me if you're a listener and they're like, you know, what can I do? Like I text bank and I do phone banking every single election, but I just feel like I should be doing something else. What should everyone be doing? I think that action is the antidote and, uh, you know, the text banking and the phone banking, donating, all of that is a really powerful way to make a difference. What I would add to that is that we have to support each other. You know, we really have to be there for each other. And if you can find community in doing some of these things, you can join your local sister district team, but it doesn't just have to be us. There's all different kinds of organizations and groups that you can join. 
And what is going to sustain us for this long haul, and that's what it is, is not necessarily doing all of this on our own, right? Because I think that that can just, it's all wonderful. But if we want to really make this feel sustainable, then we need to weave it into allow our community to be our support too. And so bring a friend, get somebody to do it with you, like have a drink while you're doing some of these things and catch up, right? Like make it fun and don't feel bad about having fun doing it, right? Like this is like very sobering, serious, hard stuff. And that is tough, but I don't want to let them win by, you know, taking away all the joy that there can be as well. So what I would add is, yes, do all of those things. But then I think a really important piece of this is get together with others to do it with them too. That's a good idea, actually. Even if it's on Zoom, even if it's on Zoom. (laughs) I was thinking about that. Like, how can I have like a text, you know, banking party with cocktails on Zoom? And anyway, I'll try that. Can I just say one last thing? Yes, yes, yes. You know, I think I mentioned that I have a seven-month-old daughter now, which is really amazing. And I took her to her first protest on Saturday for the Bands Off Our Bodies protest. And I have really mixed feelings, right? And I was really excited and really proud and happy that she was there, but also just so sad that we had to be doing this. And it was a march from you know, kind of one side of downtown San Francisco to the other. And we reached the end almost. And I saw a sign that said, I marched with my mother. I never imagined I'd have to march with my daughter. I just, that sign really struck me. And I just hope, and it reminded me why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. It really reminded me, you know, what this is all about. And I just really hope that in the future, when my daughter Zelda is, you know, marching, perhaps with her own daughter, who knows, in the future, that it's not because she is protesting some other right that's getting taken away. I hope that it is something to expand our rights, to be building towards like a bigger and better progressive future for all of us. So that's what I will just close and say. (laughs) No, that's a beautiful, perfect way to close. And and congratulations again on your daughter. You know, that's so beautiful. We talked about this before, I think, in our last conversation that I have a newish daughter, not as new as yours. She's, a, she's two and a half years old. And I think about that a lot, too. I think about, you know, I look at her and I just can't fathom that it's possible that she and my son will have fewer rights than we have. So and I love that you take her to protest. I think that's beautiful. They're going to do great things. So, yes. You know, I kind of thought about myself as a young person for a long time. And now I'm like, mm, I guess I'm getting older. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, not to be cliche about it, but there's something about having kids that reminds you that, hey, we better do our job and leave this place better than we found it. So let's try to do that. <laughs> it's so hard to, you know, say, oh, I'm just going to sit this one out. Because you can't. There's someone like just looking at you who has to live in this country that you leave behind. And you can't sit. You can't sit it out. You can't sit on the sidelines. You just can't. Exactly. Exactly. Well, anyway, thank you so much again for another amazing conversation. Sorry you had to like lift me up again, but thank you. Oh, my gosh. I love chatting with you. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.